Hi hi. I'm Joshua Simon. I'm Kennedy Sung. I'm Sam Joe. And we are the, the SG Boys. Boys, that little gay podcast from Singapore. Subscribe and find us on Instagram at the SG Boys. <sighs> Once again, I find myself in Bukit Panjang. I don't know why. Uh, I think Bukit Panjang <laughs> is calling to you. Love it, love it. Okay, but we're here in Bukit Panjang with a purpose. Yeah, I didn't just come to hang out with you, Josh. Ew. Um, <laughs> Hateful. No, kidding. We can do that. We can do that closer to my home, man. That's what we do. But with us today, we have two extra special guests. One is coming all the way from... Bishan, my hood. <laughs> we could have all met up actually. Um, and another is all the way in München, Munich, Germany. And apparently it's like That's what? Right? 9 a.m. there? Yep, 9.25 here. Indu happens to be a lawyer. She started Same But Different, which is an online resource for LGBT families and couples in Singapore, particularly when it comes to legal matters, you know. So what happens if you want to have children? What happens, you know, when you want to make certain financial decisions and everything? That's right. It's a, well, we call it a legal guidebook, essentially. And it's aimed at LGBT couples and families living in Singapore who obviously have to deal with Singapore's legal system. And hence, we publish this in order to cater to that particular demographic. It's a whole bunch of volunteers, right? We had a huge group of volunteers who were working all on their free time in order to research and write the guidebook that is now published today. It was, as you can imagine, a huge effort on several levels, not just the research, not just the writing, but also putting together in the format of a book, because that means you have to start worrying about things like design. Gary and Kenneth uh, helped us illustrate the book. Nicholas, who helped us with the PR. So it was a huge multidisciplinary project that we put together. And Mick, I hear you are one of the many volunteers. Can you just tell us a bit about like, you know, how you got started with this and, and how, yeah, basically how did you get involved? Uh, I had heard about LGBT, uh, the guidebook, back when it launched um, in 2018. And this was just about when I was about to head off for university overseas. I was very excited by that, you know, as, as there's just so much of a void, I think when it comes to LGBT life in Singapore, in terms of information, in terms of practical resources, it's, it's the mundane dry stuff, right? Like estate planning and all that stuff, but they're so critical to understanding or imagining the possibilities for your own life. Realistically, because I was going abroad, I couldn't really participate or help out much. And um, last year, when I came back, I reached out to see if I could get involved in some way. Uh, but also, I think uh, mentally, um, emotionally, I'm in a much better place than I was uh, years ago before I transitioned. So now that I feel I've more settled into myself, now I have that kind of capacity to focus on others and give back because it was hard to do Um I think when you're younger and you don't have those energies and self-consolidation, yeah. I myself, I can't say I've gotten to that stage in my life, you know, where I've had to consider like, you know, legal arrangements, um, especially with like, you know, my partner or any, well, mainly because I don't have a partner. <laughs> but for someone like Josh, who just got attached, like, you know, maybe that's something that you want to be looking into. Interestingly, what y'all have done, you actually did a survey recently, right? This just came out this year of legal arrangements for LGBT couples and families in Singapore. Because there are quite a few key findings that 
stood out to me. I mean, thankfully, you had an executive summary because it's a lot of pages. This is for all of you out there also who you know, may not have enough time to see through the entire report, but it's actually quite telling. Okay, some of the key findings include you know, how many LGBT partners here in Singapore are not discussing legal arrangements due to, you know, the lack of info and resources. You also kind of like categorize, I guess, relationships into different stages. The first being a recognition stage, stages of, you know, getting in, getting into legal arrangements, making legal arrangements, right, uh, with each other. Your survey also found that many of them are stuck in the recognition stage of, you know, making these legal arrangements as opposed to actually moving on and discussing these issues and even executing these arrangements. Not having children is another one. You know, many couples and families apparently they've decided not to have children despite having the desire to. And this is probably because of roadblocks. And one other key finding which I thought really stood out was the fact that many of your respondents, in fact, most of your respondents, 78% said that they have a serious intention to emigrate away from Singapore for better legal protection. Honestly, I was simultaneously surprised and not surprised by this figure because this is a topic that we have been discussing literally since I came out in the LGBT community, whether it's better to leave or to stay. And those numbers just reflect that emotional dilemma that queer people in Singapore face. To stay is to subject yourself to lack of protections, lack of recognition, discrimination. And to leave is to leave your home behind, perhaps even leave the movement behind if you were involved in that. And it's a very tough decision. Not even everybody has the privilege to be able to leave. If you don't have the high education that is necessary to go overseas, maybe you'll think about it, but you will never be able to do it. Whether or not you're a couple or a person, that is a dilemma that literally every single queer person has faced. I like how you said you're surprised, but not that surprised. Because when I looked at your results, you know, I saw 78%. I'm like, wow, so many. But a part of me was also, you know, hand to heart. I was like, I've thought about that myself. What is my future here? Like, you know, do I see myself raising kids here? You know, if you ask me where do I see myself in 10, 20 years, say I get together with someone... I actually don't know. I mean, I love my country a lot. What do you think, Josh? I mean, you just got attached and everything. Well, I don't think it's just about being in a relationship and then thinking about these things. I before being in a relationship i was single for a really long time (laughs) i was convinced that i was only gonna find the love of my life overseas when i go to new york when i go to a place where it's a lot more liberal where i can be myself and i can meet people who are comfortable with their sexuality and 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 they've spent time to to learn about who they are and love who they are that's the only way this relationship thing can work and and while i'm in singapore i'm just gonna stash this thought this sort of aspiration for that relationship until i can get out and until that happens i'm just gonna work crazy hard overwork myself and save all this money because I won't be able to do much of it here. I can really stretch that dollar when I'm overseas. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think there are a lot of people who are also feeling that the love of their life is out there, not here. And they're not going to entertain anything because of the state of what we have here. Literally every single queer person I talk to has had this, whether single or not, have had this calculus in their head. Whether they should leave or stay. One for legal protections, other for a better culture, better prospects even perhaps. 
I know that several of my friends have actually already left Singapore. Um, were there any specific reasons that they shared with you? Some of them really just immigrated for better legal protections. I know a popular place to move to is Australia because Australia allows you to immigrate even when you're not married to each other as long as you can prove your relationship. And it seems to me that their lives, while they have strong emotional attachment to Singapore and they love their country, their lives seem to be better over there, at least from that kind of perspective of rights and being able to be free. But like I said, it's a very personal decision and I don't blame anyone if they want to leave. I don't blame anyone for staying either. Yeah, and what about you, Mick? Like, have you ever thought of leaving? Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just going to tell um, Josh that, I mean, I, I resonate with that, right? Uh, I've known I was trans since I was six and I, I really struggled with that. Transitioning was the one and only thing on my mind. And if there's, I don't know if you can relate to this about anything else, but if there's one thing that was like always on your mind every single day for years and years and years, you understand how overwhelming it is and how much energy and life it can take out of you because, well, there's so many other things to think about in life, right? In terms of both the joys and the worries. Um, but anyway, because of that, um, I've definitely thought uh, about migrating and um, I actually started university uh, in Singapore. Okay, for context, I guess uh, I went to Yale US, um, which is really known to be much more liberal uh, than many other universities and very much so it's much more of a safe space. Um, people are wonderful in many ways. But I think when I was there, I realized that all the things that I needed were still not possible because I was in Singapore. That's why in the second year, I applied out to do law at Oxford uh, University because I knew that if I got that, basically my parents would be like, definitely go because it's a whole like Oxbridge Asian parents wet dream thing, right? So um, <laughs> I decided to, yeah, that, that was kind of the plan. And then I, I ran with it and my emotions aside, um, in many ways, going abroad did give me that freedom and, and the rights and just the space I needed to become myself. Uh, even now I'm, I'm back uh, because I realized that there's so much more to a human, you know, aside from being LGBTQ. And while I was there, I had freedom, you know, I was finally able to transition, finally able to start thinking about things aside from being trans, which was such a relief. Mm. Um, but in many ways, I also felt that sense of loneliness and disconnect from the movement or activism there because that was not my society. I had no deep ties to the struggles. I, I couldn't understand the sensitivity, the political discourse. That was also such a shock to realize that I had more to my identity than just being trans, that there's that Singaporeanness of being trans as well. And so coming back, being able to reconnect with, with a movement, with issues that I care about deeply and understand, because I've lived here, I've been here, and so many of people I care about and who care for me are also here, that, that's a huge difference. Um, but even though I'm happier now with that, uh, I still think about immigrating so i think this this dilemma this thing it will just kind of almost never end in some ways because a lot of the uh, markers of maturation in life i think whether you can get married whether you can get a house what kind of arrangements you can form with people what kind of children you can bring into your life all that is kind of a almost seems impossible for me and i think when when that kind of impossibility is so daunting it makes it very hard to imagine being here for like the long term. If I can also sort of share a fear, I think, of 
resources like this survey, this guidebook, my immediate thought to seeing something like this is I don't want to read it. I don't want to look at it because it's also scary and I don't want to think about the future, how possibly nothing is going to change and all this knowledge is just going to deepen my worries that I'm currently feeling about the state of Singapore. What, what is your response to people who just don't want to have anything to do with this insight? And sometimes it's easier to just live away from it, right? Because ignorance can be bliss. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And actually, that is one of the reasons I wrote the book as well, because I wanted to create also not just create that bridge to access to information, but also a culture change. I wanted it to become the norm for long term serious LGBTQ couples to start thinking about this as a matter of course. People influence each other. When you see your friends doing things, you might think, oh, maybe I should do that too. If you see your friend writing a will and like, oh yeah, maybe I should go look into that as well. I knew that this kind of mentality of like, okay, I'm just going to not just go about my life, do my work, make money, love my partner, and then I'm not going to think about anything else because it's just too much to think about. And I understand that kind of exhaustion about having to think about all of that. And we shouldn't have to, by right? Unfortunately, the practicalities are not so easy. I want people to start thinking about it seriously because at the end of the day, they are the ones who will get screwed over that by the legal system if they don't think about it. The survey, the survey is useful, I think, with sort of reassuring some of the things that we're feeling and, and also to remind us that we're not alone and that we're maybe part of this statistic, whether it be 70-something percent or the 20-something percent. It's a stat that I can use for talks, you know. Um, uh, something that I've been bringing up on the, the past couple of episodes is the importance of having a template sometimes in life. I think we, we grow up looking to guidance where conditioned to look up to our parents, our teachers, to the government, to celebrities for guidance. And, and when we talk about relationships, we think of what is the template of the relationship I want to be in? Is it my parents? Is it the Hollywood celebrity couples? And when we think of even activism and how it's done, we also think of the template. And, and I think the past year, we've learned a lot from Black Lives Matter in 2020 and, and say how, how social media was utilized really strongly for that movement in the pandemic itself. Um, so we're constantly looking to a template. Um, my, my question would be on the guidebook section because I think guidebook sounds so foreign for someone who has been living their lives with very, very little education about who they are and what they're feeling. And um, a lot of it is figuring things out as we go along. Now we have the internet. Now we have all these positive portrayals of, of who we are on, on, on alternative um, platforms. Uh, can you share with us about the guidebook aspect of what you do rather than just sort of the survey? We cover several topics, well, obviously starting with marriage, children, writing uh, estate management, medical decisions, and other things. That's just a very rough umbrella of that, what was covered in there. It's not that you're giving it, we're getting a template for people to follow because I believe that people should be free to decide their own template. Maybe you don't want a heteronormative template, 2.1 kids and a white picket fence and whatever. Maybe you want to live separate but interrelated lives. 
maybe you want it all. That's okay. So, so for me, I was trying to finally balance between giving people hope and some semblance of a structure to follow, but also allowing them to make their own structure. You might say, okay, you know what? I love my partner. I love my life, but I don't need to share property with him. Then don't share property with him. Nope, I want it all. I want kids. I want dogs. I want a cat. And for me, it's a bit of a balance because I also am not a fan of imposing heteronormative ideals on queer people because queer people should be able to decide what they want out of life. Decision paralysis, like because too many options in front of you, you don't know where to go. So this is also why we chose to illustrate our guidebook with the journeys of example couples of different different backgrounds as they go about their lives. Like we have a, a couple who's in an interreligious relationship. We have couples who are, are going through uh, medical issues, having kids and all that. So we have the different situations that maybe you can see yourself reflected in. I understand the psychological impact of not having a social script to follow because then you don't know what the next step is. Like, do I move in? Do I do this? Do I do that? Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. For a lot of us, there is that mentality where, you know, oh, I'll cross the bridge when it comes. I Not to keep harping on the fact that I am single, but I am. Um, <laughs> it's like, I'm not even going to worry about that because I don't even have a partner to speak of. And I don't see myself, as much as I really want children, I don't see myself raising a kid alone because I know that that comes with its own set of challenges. Like, respect to anyone out there who actually does that, like, you know, and it's a single parent. I would love to have that, you know, white picket fans for cat and dog and like a couple of kids, like, you know, and, and with a loving husband who's there to like, you know, support me no matter what. For me, at least personally, it's always cross the bridge when it comes. So when I see something like legal guidebook, I'm like, okay, it's so good to have, but I'm not going to ne- go near it now just because it's like you said, there's so much going on. Would you say that that is like um, a good approach or, you know... I, I know you don't want to prescribe approaches to people, but... So I would say read it anyway, because at the end of the day, a lot of the steps that we talk about can also apply equally to single people. Even if you are single for the rest of your life, you should still do your will. You should still do your LPA. You should still do all of those things because they are about making your own decisions. Who cares if you don't have a partner? Maybe you can create your own person that you turn to, for example, an LPA, um, just for people who don't know, is a lasting power of attorney. What it does is that when you are unable to make decisions for yourself, you can appoint somebody in your life to do it for you. As you can imagine, this is a very powerful document. One, it gives somebody the power of your life when you are not able to make the decisions. And two, it takes away the state's ability to decide for you. And that's very important. Because if you don't do it, guess what happens to most people who don't make those documents? They will, they will get family members applying to the court to be made the, um, the guardian of whatever. Maybe that's not the best thing for a lot of queer people. They don't have the best relationship with their families. Even if you're single, that is a document you can make. You can find a trusted friend, a trusted relative, someone that you know will take care of you and look after your own interests. You can still read it and know what's going on or you can pass on that information to other people because at the end of the day, uh, information is worthless if you don't share it with people and people don't have access to it. Because we have heard stories, right, of 
LGBT couples, when one of them dies, the partner, you know, wants to visit a hospital or like, you know, or maybe it's already at the funeral and then the family wants to do one thing, but the partner who actually is by all means much closer to the deceased, um, but has no legal rights whatsoever, has no way to say that, oh, this is what, actually, this is what my lover would have wanted. He, you know, they told me. But the family is like, no, but who are you? You know, you have no rights. And so unless you have it down in writing of, of, of some sort, or like, and, and take those legal, um, make those legal arrangements, there's nothing. It's all up in the air. In fact, in fact, prior to today, I know what an, yeah, I know what an LPA is, but prior to this chat, I really didn't think it was applicable to me. Maybe it's because like I see, I see it as mostly for people who are much older and I see it for people who are in a relationship where they really have that one person that they can mm-hmm. assign. But I see myself as young and like alone, but I also have like, you know, all these thoughts of mortality and I'm thinking, oh, if I go tomorrow, maybe I should prepare Google Doc. <laughs> Unfortunately, Google Doc won't be valid, but... <laughs> <laughs> Correct. So, yeah, but I really did think about the Google Doc thing, you know, like, oh, I should, okay, where does my, who gets all my clothes, who gets my CD collection, like, you know. But you're right, LPA la, is the way to go. So, an LPA allows someone to make decisions for you on your behalf and you're uh, not able to. There's the Advanced Medical Directive and that tells your doctor what to do when you are um, at the end of life stage. So it tells the doctor, do I pull life support? Do I not? I guess if you watch a lot of US TV shows, you would know it as a DNR, do not resuscitate. But in Singapore, it's a bit different. There are other documents that uh, you can do like CPF nominations, you can in- insurance nominations. All these are free of charge to do. And the things you should do just to make sure that your wishes are carried out. Think about even if you're single, you probably have quite a lot of money sitting in your CPF bank account. Maybe you want to think about do I want it to go to my parents? Do I want it to go to charity? Do I want to go to anywhere else? Just Because even if you're in a relationship, you can say, I don't want my partner to have anything. He's he's just my boy toy. I don't want him to have anything. <laughs> but, and I've ha- I have heard people say that before. So that's okay. Yeah. yeah. I, Find that prenup. I'm guilty of, like, I think, like, three years ago, like, I wrote my will. <laughs> I, I, I yeah I did I was I, now I was look I was going was through docs it, it was like years and years of battling with suicidal ideation and I was like convinced that I was gonna go and I actually wrote I sat down with um, my financial advisor and I just said like um I want most of my money to go to my ex and I'm like why would now now thinking about it, I'm like why after breaking my heart but at, the, at that point I was so foolish yeah I should I haven't updated it by the way I haven't, I haven't updated it I was like I want to leave all my money with my ex so he knows how much I loved him oh my goodness you were trying to make a statement with yeah, that will sure. please go and update it I now will. the first thing you do after this because he's gonna listen to this podcast and go like oh if I kill Joshua Simon <laughs> I mean, if anything happens to Joshua tomorrow, we know the culprit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and the funny thing is my financial advisor is my first ex-boyfriend. Oh my god. <laughs> so It was one of those things where, at, at the, the fun fact, right, at the end of the relationship, he was like, you know, it's the least you can do after all you put me through, which is to buy a package with me. And I was like... What? This is great. This is great for the listeners to know, know what to do. <laughs> this is a very good example of one. Very good negative example. I'm such a pushover. How about you, Mick? Have you thought about writing a will and everything? Or have you actually made any of these arrangements? I am pretty young. I actually went through the chapters, right? 
it's actually written really well. Like, I don't think you could find anything so accessible for a legal resource. Okay, law is like almost purposefully written in like the most obtuse way possible. And it's so easy to understand in some ways because they use like that couple characters persona thing to drive the, the narrative. So you just follow these kind of couples through various decisions that they're making. It's much easier to relate. But anyway, I was going through that, right, to see what was even possible for my own life. It made me think, hey, it's it's not even that I have to be a, in a relationship now. I don't have to be close to the end of my life now for a lot of these information to be material. So, for example, right, going through it as a trans person, given the nearly impossible legal threshold to change my gender marker in Singapore, it basically involves removing everything, like basically a sterilization. Uh, it means I can't get married. Uh, it means that I can't... Um, access assistive reproductive technology because that's only available to cisgender hetero married couples. Probably can't adopt because you won't pass the MSF uh, home study report. Uh, you probably can't adopt overseas because you're not going to get a dependence pass for your kid because you're unmarried and you're a single person. Egg freezing is not uh, available and that's another conversation about reproductive rights and mm -hmm. misogyny in Singapore. Uh, leasing also brings out a whole bunch of problems. I was looking at rental listings recently and so many of them only ask for i only want females uh or some of them are like i'm also open to males but then someone like me who for all intents and purposes is going about as a male but with my documents saying female i don't know what to do all that information is still relevant because for example when we're talking about immigration right that's like a multi-year process if you're intentionally trying to go overseas you know you have to save you have to think about like the relevant skills and qualifications you have if you really, really want kids and you read this guidebook and you realize it's very unlikely for you, then that might have to be something you start thinking about now. Even if the time in which you are ready to have kids might be like 10 years from now, mm -hmm. you might need to start that planning now. We're also like tired from life and like hashtag late capitalism. And yeah, obviously like the law is also triggers when um, unforeseen events happen, right? So like when you die or are incapacitated and then it, kind of fills in the vacuum there. And I guess all I want to say was, you know, it's it's both a reactive mechanism, but the law is also much, very much a planning tool. Or I mean, that's the ideal of, of the law, that it's a planning tool for the individuals to use. When you make your own decisions in advance, you're also taking away the state's ability to make the decisions for you. It just reminded me of this quote that I, I saw somewhere else um, that I thought was very powerful. It makes me very uncomfortable sometimes, but I think it's powerful that uh, yeah, if you don't make your decisions for yourself, someone else is going to make them for you. Like decisions mm -hmm. will get made, right? It's just a matter of when and by who. Um, it just made me think of when I came back from the UK to Singapore last year. You know, it was the first time I was back in Singapore, kind of happy with myself. It was such a liberating feeling. I could go about my days like happy to be alive and just think about like showing up to work and meeting friends. And it was so nice. I was like, ah, I'll think about volunteering later, right? And then, you know, the small pride flag incident kicked in, the Ashley case, the trans students issue kicked in. And like, they just broke this veneer. Uh, they create little cracks in this, you know, grass wall that I knew I was putting out around myself, right? It was like you said, ignorance is bliss. I just don't want to think about it. I just want to live like a happy person who doesn't have to think about like oppression or like what things are not available to them. And it just made me realize that it's really uncomfortable and tiring, but it is very, very important that at least for me, that I kind of get involved in the activism again, there's too much at stake for us, right? The, the system does not cater by default to us. So yeah. if we don't do anything actively, whether through activism or using the law as a planning tool for yourselves, you're going to probably end up in a very shitty situation that many people outside of this oppressed minority groups don't have 
to think about because the system caters to them by default. Information is power, right? The more you know, mm-hmm. the more you know. And as queer people, we spend a lot of our lives navigating like gray areas, you know, be it with the law, be it with education or like rules, what you're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. Because sometimes we just don't fall into those like boxes where you just tick off. We are essentially like, you know, walking, breathing Venn diagrams. <laughs> it's unfortunately like quite quite the opposite, right? Like we're all rainbow, but then we constantly find ourselves in gray areas. Mm, or being forced to to be this or that or like you know one color or the other so i i'm I'm one of those you know like you know i'm I'm really cool with just getting by day to day I don't even know what I'm having for for dinner later in fact I didn't even have lunch but you know living living for the so, moment right it's i'm I'm always a live in the moment kind of guy but I know that that at some point that's not gonna be enough unfortunately. It's like the ostrich putting the head in the hole on the ground. Yeah. And then not realizing the predator around. I think there are also people who feel, and I want to get your, your thoughts on this as well, there are people who feel that, you know, actually Singapore is not so bad if you were to compare to some <laughs> other countries. I'm sorry. Like, I was just thinking about it and like trying to figure out how to bring it up and you brought it up perfectly, which is, look, guys, I have been uh, activisting <laughs> to use it as a verb. Since I was 18, 18, it's a very young age to start. Um, you know, I was working at Wakanisayoni and later the constitutional challenge. Um, I was even involved briefly in the, the first CEDAW shadow report. After all of this, I came to a point where I felt, the hell, what am I doing all of this for? It doesn't seem like we are going anywhere. There have been some changes, there have been some progress, I won't deny that, and that's important to acknowledge. But I think we have to acknowledge that to an extent, advocacy isn't getting us very far in Singapore at the pace it's going. It might get us somewhere sometime in the future, but it won't help the people today who are suffering from it. Things in Singapore might not be bad if all you want to do is live, make money, eat good food, and that's it. But if you want anything else out of life, if you want to control your own destiny, unfortunately, it does. the law simply does not support any of that. And there are many, many issues, larger systemic issues within the system. Women not being able to access egg freezing. That applies to everyone. Anyone with a uterus not being able to access egg freezing is ridiculous just because you're just taking away a reproductive choice from them. So there are many, many structural issues layered in Singapore, not just discrimination against queer people. There is a general lack of uh, freedom of expression and freedom of assembly and other issues. And to me, it feels like over time, some things have gotten better, like be able to gather freely in Pink Dot, but other things have gotten worse, like many, many avenues have been clamped down over time. Pink Dot, for example, being forced to only be fundraised from local companies, one example of them clamping down on our community. We have our constitutional challenge has been denied so many times. I've lost count of how many times it's been denied and the lawsuits that have gone to the Court of Appeal. And every time that we do all these representations to the international body, like through CEDAW, or UPR for the listeners, I'll just say the CEDAW is a convention um, to protect uh, women against violence, 
which also includes um, queer people by extension, UPR is a universal periodic review. So the NGOs in Singapore have been submitting report after report, going up to UN, challenging the Singapore government for many, many years. And the answer is always exactly the same. Queer people can live freely in Singapore. There's no discrimination. End of story. But we know that our reality is different. And as long as they do not acknowledge it, we are going to be living like that. And we can't be helping the government by also then saying, oh, things in Singapore are not so bad. Sure, people are not getting beat up for being gay or trans um, on a regular basis. But then our general rate of violence is also low. It's unhelpful to yourself and the community to say, oh, things are, things are fine. Anyway, I can live exactly like this. Maybe you can, and that's that's your personal choice. But in the end, the you only you will suffer if you live like that. Yeah, the thing that I always say is not that bad is not good enough. For a short period of time, you go live your fantasy, and then you come back down to earth. And I'm only going to be able to get a house at 35, and then I'll just wait till 35, and then my life starts. Because that's also another reality for a lot of um, gay couples, where they're not able to express themselves freely out in public, and they only, or they may not be able to even take a guy home. Um, so they they end up being cornered to sort of left with public spaces, or renting hotel rooms, or or eventually just holding out all the way till they're 30. And, and also it's that idea that mm-hmm. all my problems can only be fixed if I have money. So I'm going to work crazy hard. If I have money, then I can move overseas. If I have money, maybe get a condo earlier. We're going to continue having this conversation, right? And and just like what Mick brought up earlier, you can try to live away from all this work and try to have sort of a, a semblance of what life you actually want. But then incidents will continue to pop up and life will continue to nudge you and be like we're not done yet we're not done yet and I think the great thing about resources like this guidebook and the survey and more surveys done in the future as well is that we become better equipped when we come to that conversation with other people as well and that's how we can sort of progressively move forward yeah so Indu if you know, anyone wants to check out this guidebook, where can they go? Can they even contribute? Yep. Thanks for asking. Um, so our website is www.singapore.lgbtlaw.com. It's very easy to remember. Our Facebook um, is also facebook.com slash singapore.lgbtlaw. So very easy to remember. You can find the guidebook for free. You can just download it without any prerequisite. Um, of course, if you want, you can also sign up on our mailing list to be kept informed of uh, things that we're doing, like our webinar, uh, which is happening on the 24th of July, 5 p.m. Singapore time. If you want more details, you can just go to go there and you can sign up. And very importantly, because this is also related to one of the findings in our survey report, many people say that one of the reasons they're not moving forward with their lives is because they don't have access to LGBT-friendly lawyer. I'm here to tell you that for the since the launch of the guidebook, we've had a directory of LGBT-friendly lawyers on our website. There are areas of practice listed there, and you can choose which one you want depending on what you want to do. 
please tell your friends about it too because I am shocked by the number of people who don't know that this list exists. I didn't know about that list. That's awesome. What about people who yeah. want to get more involved um, in Same But Different? If they want to volunteer like Mick, can they do that? And, and who should they reach out to? Yes, we are definitely looking for volunteers. So one of the things that we want to concentrate on the most in the next year is on outreach. What we need people with is to help us do PR, events, social media, all of those um, small things that are very important. So you don't even need to be a lawyer to do it. If you have any kind of experience in this area, even if you just want to learn, I'm very happy to have you. And you can contact us either through the contact form on the website or through our Facebook page um, and we'll answer your queries. Okay, so they can just slide into your DMs there. They can totally slide into my DMs. <laughs> the SG Boys. That little gay podcast from Singapore. Subscribe and find us on Instagram at the SG Boys. The beliefs, views, and opinions expressed on this podcast are attributable to its hosts only and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, organization, company, or individual.